0: Welcome to Shatter
1: by Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts Fumi Ige, Carrie Schrock, Kara Parati, and Kira Rust.
0: Hey, Fumi, what's up?
1: Not much, Kara. How you doing?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I had a great weekend this past week. How was
1: yours? Mine was, um, (laughs) let's see, I could simplify it or I could just drop it right now. Um, Being a new mom has been a job, an absolute job, but I, I, I cannot complain. It's taking ownership of things that I do not, I did not even realize that I had to take ownership of. Yeah. You know, taking care of a kid basically is you are in charge of the child's life and everything that makes the child. So yeah, it's been a weekend, but I'm glad I'm
0: here. Bumi, I have a, I have my two dogs and that <laughs> yeah. can be overwhelming to me. Sometimes I can't even begin to imagine the type of ownership that you have to take with, your new little bundle but uh i think that's perfect for today because we have a fantastic guest here to talk all about ownership not only in owning the, her personal life but also her
1: career yeah i'm excited let's uh let's hear hear about mina so mina is from milwaukee born and raised many summers were spent in india to visit her awesome family and appreciate her strong south indian heritage Tamil, I hope I pronounced that right, is a South Indian language that was prioritized by Mina's parent. So she is fluent in the language today. Outside of speaking the language in the home as a child, her parents worked with community volunteers to form a Tamil school. Today, that school operates as a nonprofit and her children are now attending as well. University of Wisconsin-Madison is Mina's alma mater where she earned a degree in electrical engineering and computer science. Her father is an electrical engineer and moved to Milwaukee in the late 70s to complete a master's degree at UWM. Mina vowed to not follow the same path and as life unfolded, ended up majoring in EE. For fun, Mina enjoys games of tennis. Something about running around a court helps stresses and worries melt away. She plays summer tennis in USDA state leagues with a team of wonderful women, some of them from career circles. This crowd has been a part of her mentor circle in many ways. As far as new COVID hobbies, Mina is now a self-proclaimed plant lady gardening and growing plants. She has also been learning guitar while her seven-year-old is learning piano so they can duet some music together. Wow, Nina, welcome to Shatter. Thank you, so nice to be here.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Um, So to kind of kick us off, uh, we were wondering if you had done anything kind of fun or exciting over these past winter holidays.
2: Oh yeah, we had a fabulous daycation in uh, exotic Milwaukee, (laughs) Um, you know, when you start your vacation, you take those, you put those reserve those two weeks off at the end of the year, it feels so long and then you get started and things get chaotic and unfold and it goes by so fast, but you know, it was nice to not multitask as much as I have to multitask and, you know, spend some quality time with people I love and friends and family that have come home to Milwaukee so you know, COVID made it a little tricky, but we figured it
0: out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds wonderful. Sometimes a a staycation is kind of even more relaxing than the the chaos that ensues from traveling all over.
1: So that sounds wonderful. I agree. Uh, staycation for me all the way right now. So, <laughs> so Mina, aside from your very impressive um, um bio, uh. Today, uh, I just want to touch a little on, on your career, right? Today, you're a strategic account manager for Molson Cores in Milwaukee. Um, we heard a little about your career path in, in, in the intro, right? You have a great story. Um, just wondering, will you be able to take us through your career path?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I would be happy to do that. So um, I started my career uh, at Johnson Controls as an intern Coming off of, you know, while I was at um, in college, the University of Wisconsin, Madison, um, I kind of stepped into engineering a little bit blind, not 100 percent sure what it was or what I was going to do with it. I didn't grow up, you know, fidgeting with computers or, you know, any of those things that some people do. And so um, I honestly got my internship because my dad worked at Johnson Controls. And so he hooked me up with the help desk at that time, on site help desk um, to help, you know, um, re image drives and install software and troubleshoot computers and all that stuff. And I honestly, you know, walked in there and told him, honestly, I've never done that, um, but I'm ready to try and I'm ready to spend the summer with you if you'd have me. Um, and so that's how I started. Right. Uh, and I went back, for, you know, growing summers, a couple summers. And by the end, I was doing some programming for them, install programming. And, you know, it's kind of, you kind of fall forward in in an unexpected direction uh, based on just the people you meet and what you like to do. So I ended up working um, full time after I graduated from college as a software engineer there. Uh, Fabulous time, met fabulous people. And you know, did some programming and then a couple of years into it, decided I needed to do something um, a little bit different. I felt like I was hungry. I wanted to do more. So I reinvested and, you know, took advantage of a really great benefit that a lot of big corporate um, employers provide, and that's tuition reimbursement. And so I went back uh, part-time to Marquette to do uh, an MBA. And um, gosh, that was a crazy time. So basically, you know, wake up, come to work, finish work, drive over quick, parallel park, get my latte, uh, go sit in class and then come home around 8.30, 9 o'clock, drop my bags in my condo and go to bed. And gosh, my condo was filthy. I mean, basically just like, you know, drop any, <laughs> everything everywhere and just exhausted. Um, and then you get up and you do it again. So I did that for a while and finished my MBA. Um, I got into a program um, at Johnson Controls that helped me really just try new things and and get my a taste of more leadership and trying to do something a little bit different. And um, then one of my mentors um, had had made the change to work at at Rockwell and, and contacted me about an open position that he thought would be really interesting for me. Now at that time I was not really job searching. So it was. It was. It took me a minute to kind of pause it and say, "Okay, you know what? Let me give this a shot." You know, I've I've been here for five, six years. Let me give it a shot. I wasn't unhappy where I was, um, but I was kind of curious about what was what was out there. And so I ended up meeting again um, a manager that inspired me in the interview process that I thought was really neat. Um, I had never considered. Uh, working in hardware firmware product development, and he needed something unique in terms of a software skill set to help connect um, with other businesses within Rockwell. And so he hired me as a project manager, even though I had never done any hardware or firmware development. And so um, you know, spent some time there, and then got a got a hunger again to to increase my commercial exposure. Um, started rooting around and um, uh, found the sales trainees. Was kind of intrigued by what that sales training program was like. Again, it wasn't intended for me. I was already a bit into my career. Uh, but, you know, I ended up meeting um, John Broderick, uh, who um, used to be working in our Milwaukee sales office, leading our Milwaukee sales office. And he was spoke at an ERG at one of our resource group meetings about a vision about a shadow program between sales and the business unit. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What is that? Tell me more. So set up some time with him as I normally do. Most people at Rockwell are so generous with their knowledge and experience. So I, you know, step forward and usually just ask, Hey, I'm really interested in this. Can, can we talk? I don't know what, what it's going to mean yet, but I'd love to connect with you. And, and I, I, don't even think I can remember a time when somebody said no to me when I reached out in that direction. And so um, he introduced me to the Milwaukee sales office, no openings, no problem, but I met a few folks and they, you know, um, had really great conversations. And then I met with the sales trainee and I said, Hey, let's, I still want to do this. Like, can we make something up? Like, let's call it a local stir. Um, So so that's usually meant for short-term international relocation, but um, I said, hey, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to come into sales. Let's just call it six months in sales. Um, I had some, I was able to get sponsorship of something like that, that I totally made up through the um, engineering leadership in the business unit that I was working in and was about to pull the trigger on it when um, somebody encouraged me to apply for a manager position in the motion business, a PMO manager position. And so I had to pause Um, That just felt more stable and long term. I had no idea what was going to happen after six months in sales. So I had to, I had to give that a shot. I was eight and a half months pregnant with my second child waddled into that interview um, and, you know, interviewed and ended up getting it. So spent um, the next part of my career as a PMO manager for the motion business. Uh, fabulous. I love that business. (laughs) you know, it, it felt like home. I learned so much. Um, and then I ended up running into one of the managers I had met earlier, uh, in, uh, the Milwaukee sales office, who she is just fabulous, you know? Um, and we had a nice conversation. She was wondering where I had gone, uh, because, you know, she's like, we had a really great conversation and then I couldn't find you. And so I explained to her that I'd taken a position in the Milwaukee, in the motion business. And that I was still interested in figuring out if there was a place in sales for me. So we created kind of a nebulous, I created a nebulous goal in my 70 2010 and just spent whatever free time I had uh, connecting with her and understanding her team and, you know, really loved it. And, you know, we hit it off, right? Um, And when she had an opening, she, um, you know, asked me if I'd be interested and I was and, you know, it ended up working out, and so I've been in sales ever since. So that was 2018.
1: Wow, um, that journey is impressive, especially the the aspect of you, you know, coming up with the local stir. I I love that. <laughs> I, I I feel like we need to see more of that or see that into you know into into reality. So yeah, impressive. Yeah, that's really wonderful.
0: Um, I love how you described kind of the hunger for wanting to do more things. And it's clear kind of from your intro as well, this mentoring that you've curated over the years, just by, you know, reaching out to people and putting yourself out there. And even in your ways of talking about learning how to play guitar and doing those things, it's clear that you uh, jump after the things that you are interested in, uh, which kind of leads us really nicely into what today's discussion is all about, which is ownership. Uh, so we wanted to kind of kick that off by asking what ownership means to you uh, and, and kind of clarify what that has looked like.
2: You know, thank you for that question. Um, ownership. So ownership to me is the process of trusting yourself and taking responsibility and accountability for what you do. So I guess that means being able to reflect on uh, a situation and not being afraid to take a step forward. I mean,
0: kind of in basic terms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I really uh, appreciate and admire that idea of putting yourself out there, even though it can be a very scary thing, I think, at times. Yeah. yeah.
1: This podcast episode brought to you by Rock in Action, a new global volunteer program with Rockwell Automation. Rock in Action gives employees a new opportunity to make and impact on their communities in ways that are most meaningful to them. Employees will have 24 hours of benefit time to use for volunteering during work hours. For employees who actively volunteer their time for a nonprofit or non-governmental organization, Rockwell will match their tracked volunteer hours with financial support to the nonprofit or NGO of their choice. Rockwell will also support employees by matching their donation dollars for dollar, up to five thousand per calendar year. That's five thousand dollars. Visit the Rockin' Action online portal to connect with colleagues supporting their communities, donate, and find volunteer opportunities. So Mino, you 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 shared your your definition of what ownership is. Um, and as, as you can imagine, we've heard ownership been thrown at us, um, in a workplace, um, outside work, you know, name it. Um, and, and that's maybe, you know, lacking context whenever you, whenever that's been thrown around, would you, how do you view it as a proactive conversation?
2: Yeah. You know, unfortunately, um, sometimes these things show up as what's missing or what's not there. Um, And and, um, people tend to talk about ownership when they view it to be missing. Um, And then the question is, okay, is the glass half full or is it half empty? And so I guess I don't really view it as ownership. If you um, can observe a situation, notice what's missing and then identify that and walk away. That doesn't look like ownership to me. Um, what looks like ownership is staying in that moment, uh, understanding what's happening, figuring out what you can do to help and doing it. So, so to me, uh, that's, that's the best way to be proactive about your own ownership and how you can leverage it to, to make things
1: better. Awesome. I, I I guess I never I never realized or or thought of it that way in a more proactive like it 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 goes without saying that's how I feel. But from time to time, with the way you when you hear people throw it around that way, you need to kind of emphasize that it is a proactive uh, um, um, action. It's it's not just well taking ownership and then take ownership and dump right and yeah, I'm, I'm the owner and then forget about it. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so easy to get lost in just like day-to-day life, right? We're all so busy. We all have a lot of things going on, um, personal and professionally. And so I think it's so easy to get lost and not be an active participant in the ownership over the pieces of your life. So I love putting that in your brain as no, I really need to be an active participant in this. Um, That's wonderful. Uh, So a little bit uh, switching gears uh, is that we know that you do a lot of giving back through SWE, Society of Women uh, Engineers, in your role in management. Uh, So is ownership something that you discuss when you're mentoring and leading others to kind of get them to be an active participant in that also. And then with that, do you have any stories where you were able to leverage your experiences with that to kind of help those, those mentees of yours?
2: Yeah. You know, great question. Um, I I guess I want to start with feeling a sense of ownership and instilling ownership in others is completely different things and, 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 you know, a completely different pursuits. So, you know, Ownership is a self-led journey. I think people have to figure out how they get there and what it means to them. Um, As a coach or a mentor, which I've been fortunate enough to be able to do and something that is really important to me, something I gain energy from, um, the best way I know how, one of the best ways I know how to coach through that is to be just really transparent about my career and how it's unfolded and the things that have happened to me and my experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, right? Um, In a way that people can connect to it. Uh, The other way I know how is just to ask questions, lots of questions, probing questions. Um, This is still something that I have to really lean into. It's hard not to, when you feel a sense of personal ownership, it's hard not to lean into your action bias and solve somebody's problem for them. Um, It's not really the way Um, coaching is the most effective. I've read so many things about it. I I understand that idea. It's just hard to do, right? Um, And so that's something I have to practice. And I continue to practice today is how can I ask more questions and help people go on whatever their journey is? Um, You know, and the people who I've coached know how I fumbled through steps. I'd like, I hope that's the case. I try to make it the case that anybody that I've mentored and coached knows the times that I fumbled and how I had to, at certain points, just jump and take a risk um, and, and, you know, be proactive about it.
0: Yeah. uh, I think one of the most beautiful pieces kind of in the background of the ways that you're talking about these things also is the fact that it's led with a lot of vulnerability. It's like vulnerability of yourself and putting yourself out there, but also then being vulnerable in the ways that you're leading others so that they feel comfortable being wholly themselves in their own ownership. Uh, And I think that that is something really special.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, Vulnerability. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. That's, that's tough. It's hard.
0: It's hard.
1: (laughs) that's, that's a hard one. And that's another one that people throw around too, right? Like, you know, vulnerability and things, but
0: it's the same action versus like talking about it versus like taking action and actually being that person for someone and, or like conveying that I think is uh, it's yeah, it's hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting that every time now with more conversations and more people having these conversations about, Proactively doing things, whether it's ownership, whether it's being yourself, um, there's always that common underlining um, thing, which is vulnerability, and that's the hardest thing to do, right? One of the hardest things to do. But yeah, I I, I hope that we keep having these conversations because they are they are very very imperative that we we talk about it because other people realize that we are all going, oh, going through it, right? Those tough times. Yeah, yeah. So, um, maybe going back a little, um, speaking about your journey through your career, um, and speaking about tough things or hard things to do, um, I'm just curious how it, how it felt to make those tough, um, changes or those, you know, pivoting to the next, next level. Um, does it get easier with time? Um, and was it more difficult when you were back in your early career, because you mentioned how you, um, you went, you went to your dad and Johnson's and had those, you know, accepting that I cannot, you know, I can't do this. I don't know all of this. Right. Um, Was it er easier to make those jumps from that, that initial stage and do these decisions kind of scale up from there?
2: Yeah. You know, that's interesting. That transition time is a really pivotal time. Um, It's scary. It's hard. I mean, you go from a place where you feel really good about what you were doing suddenly to a place where you don't know if you can do it. And, um, and what that does to your confidence is a hard thing, right? Um, and, and some of the really big um, shifts, like how many variables are you changing? I've heard people talk about it that way. How many variables are you changing when you change more of them? Yeah, that transition period takes longer. Um, And I I jokingly describe it as, yeah, it's that eat ice cream out of the container in front of the TV. Um, How many times that happened for how long? Um, It's not it's not a fun feeling. Right. Um, But but I you know, those are the moments where I've realized now at the early in my career, I probably looked at those moments and felt scared. I felt uncertain. I felt like I second guessed myself in that. Did I do the right thing? Um, later in my career, I still have that. I still have that discomfort when I make the transition, but maybe I'm less doubting of myself in those times. It's still hard. It's still ice cream in front of the TV. Um, It still takes some time, maybe less time. But I understand now that that's what growth feels like. um, And that's what being better. And that's what learning more feels like. And so I've learned to embrace it a little bit, right? And I've learned how to move through those times by having a circle of people I trust where I'm just really raw about about how I'm feeling in that time, right? But I don't quit, right? Because that's that's, you know, that doesn't help anything. It's how do you grow and fill into the new role?
1: Yeah, I love that last part. It's how you grow and build into it, right? Cuz that that stage, the transition stage is it's so it's so real and and you only, I don't know about you, but you most, I mostly realize it in hindsight, right? That, wow, at that time I felt really, really incompetent or incapable of whatever this that situation was. And then, and then you gradually, again, to your point, having the board of directors or your, your friends around that help you realize that either you're in the right path or you're, it's going to be okay. Right. And then you transition to it and then look, look back and say, that's why it happened or it makes sense now. So, yeah, um, the board of directors really is effective. And that's that's something I, I, I talk about quite often, too. And so now I'm glad to hear that. That's what everyone's doing. That's what most people are talking about. Right. That you you have those group of people that give you that support. Whether it's you guys sit down in front of TV and have that ice cream, do it alone or be able to do it and call them and have that conversation, whichever way. Yeah. I like that.
2: hundred percent looking back, it's easier to see something and, and take it for the good that comes out of it. Yeah. It's just not that easy in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely um
0: hindsight's 2020, 20, right. And you can kind of, focus in on some of the good things that came out of it, but it can be tricky to focus in on those uh, in the moment that they're happening. Uh, One of the the things that you mentioned was, right, these variables that come up when you're making those decisions. And I think that those can look a lot of different ways, even just like personal life variables that are coming up. Uh, Something that we were kind of curious about and is very important to me is as you've gone through from this kind of management perspective. um, How have you been able to embrace your creativity as it's followed you through your career? Creativity is something that is uh, super important to me. And then also as you've embraced that and kind of moved through your career, uh, has taking ownership over that
2: changed your management style? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, I'll admittedly tell you, Kara, I was not um, so um, informed that I understood that creativity was an asset. So it took me getting through a good portion of my career before I started embracing creativity as something useful in, um, in the professional environment, right? It was something, okay, I do creative things at home and then I come to work and I work, focus and I work. Um, I, I, it took me a while, and I know it sounds obvious when you say it out loud, but the fact that that ties to innovation, it ties to, to affecting change, it ties to you know, creating business. Um, I didn't get that until um, I came into sales, and that's where suddenly it was just a really open playing field. Um, it was up to you to create whatever business you were responsible for generating. And only then did I understand, okay, again, creativity and ownership, right? You have to drive to some kind of goal and and take accountability for getting there. But um, it was only then that I said, okay, no, I am a creative person. It feels really good in my soul to be able to exercise whatever creativity that I have in a role um, and to turn it into something that is good for, you know, the company. So it it took some time. I did not start that way. It took me, I mean, I, I only joined sales in 2018. My career started in 2001. So, so it took me a long time to really understand what you're saying already.
0: So. Yeah, that the idea of it, like filling your soul, the creativity piece is hits home very much. So at least for me specifically, um, that, has always been hugely important to me, which I think a lot of this team knows. And and being a part of of things such as Shatter has really helped that. But I think there are ways that I could bring it more into you know day to day career with sales and those types of pieces that have helped bring that piece of career to a more fulfilling point for me as well. And and hopefully can continue to grow also with that because again I think it takes some level of vulnerability and like putting yourself out there to show those pieces of yourself. Um, As a, uh, from a management perspective, has your creativity kind of helped you in
2: that role? You know, that's, that's interesting. So, so when I joined the motion business, that was when I really had my first round of direct reports. And I'll tell you, I very admittedly didn't know what I didn't know about that whole process. Um, Having been a project manager in my past, I kind of underestimated what that challenge would be like. Uh, and uh, I walked into it kind of naively thinking it was gonna be wonderful from the get-go. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it took me a long It took me a while of making mistakes and seeing what that did uh, before I could really just tune tune that into what was you know my style and what was a useful style. Not just what's yours, but what is productive and useful to the to the group that you're working with. And so um, you know, it, yeah. I, I feel like dialing your management style is something you can only do while you're managing people. <laughs> and and it's different when it's direct and indirect. Absolutely. 100%. When it's direct, it's very different. And and so it's one of those things where you grow with the team that you're managing and, and doing that is how that evolves.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's not always, or maybe I just haven't heard it a lot of conversation around how like project management and while you're still working with a team for that and having direct reports are very different, um, managing styles. And then also how the style of those that you're managing and working with affects every piece of that. So I'm sure so a lot of that flexibility and resilience and bouncing back, uh, from those was largely helpful in that
1: growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm learning. I'm listening. and taking notes, Mina. <laughs> so, I'm yeah, going to listen I'm, to this a few times over just to remind myself. <laughs> yep. That's why we have a podcast so we can go back and listen to it. So that's, yeah, that's the joy of all of this. Right. Um, so we're, we're just going to switch gears just a tiny bit. Right. Um, even though it's not a complete switching of gears, because you mentioned growing, right. And grow, growing comes learning. Right if you don't learn what you've been through and how all the things that you've experienced, then there's no growth, right? Uh, so, so would you say that continuous growth um, and taking of ownership are, are linked, uh, essentially linked? And, and can you share your perspective now versus maybe a past you that was just learning to navigate a career?
2: Yeah, uh, admittedly, <laughs> I'm kind of a learning junkie. Um, You know, I I agree that learning and ownership are often in the same space. Uh, You know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that uh, ownership comes with taking risks. So it's one of the best ways to demonstrate ownership is to take a step forward when everything isn't known. And so being brave and finding a way forward um, when you don't know everything is typically, you know, a very common step in taking ownership. And so I think once you've taken the step, then learning has to fill in the gaps. Uh, you have to be able to learn to close all those gaps and actually be effective in your role. And if you don't, that's when things start to not be good, right? Um, you're not performing in the job that you've taken. Um, you haven't closed the gaps. So I think it's just really critical uh, to, to be continuously learning and improving yourself to um, mm-hmm execute on, on the risk that you took.
1: Yeah. I like um, that you said that because, because you said risks and I think, and I think back to vulnerability again, right. To be vulnerable is, you know, to take a risk to to take a risk on yourself and just let go. So um, yeah, the, I feel, yeah, I agree. They are essentially linked and yeah, if, if you, if we, if we consider that um as growing and learning right um I feel like things will be way easier but it's always easier said than done right so but maybe continue again I'm going to repeat this if we continue to talk about it and share our experiences of how we go through this I I feel like more and more people are going to um realize that they're not in this alone so yeah
2: you asked a second part to that which I thought was really interesting and made me think is what would I What would I how do I feel about my past self or or if I had to reflect on what my past self at that point and and how that connected to all this? You know, um, something that I remember clearly thinking early in my career is that um, the way career development happened is if you were good enough, leadership picked you up and carefully placed you in that next amazing opportunity. Um, And I and I really thought that that was the case. All I had to do was to prove that I was good enough and somebody would see it and make it happen for me. Um, And so when I found out very quickly that I had to really just grit my way through these moves, um, I think my early self assumed that that was because I wasn't as good as the people who are being picked up and placed in opportunities. And so, if I could go back and, and wish I had known something, that's probably what it was. Is that no? This is just how you take ownership of your career. It's not because you weren't good enough to be placed in the next role. <laughs> wow,
1: it's it's interesting that you say that because I I felt the exact same way, and I I just recently realized that you know it, it had it, it didn't have anything to do with my abilities or my my capabilities of in my career, right? It was, it wasn't that it was, it was ownership, right? You, I had to take ownership of the path that I wanted to go and And I'm still learning on that, right? It's still a learning curve. Um. So yeah, <laughs> in hindsight, it's like, yeah, you, when you're there again, hindsight 2020, when you're there, you think, gosh, I am not this is not happening for me. This is what I thought was going to happen. I'm doing everything right. And even trying to surpass all of that and nothing's happening. Yeah. I like that you brought that up. That's yeah. It's too real.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel extremely grateful as someone who is quite early career to be hearing these conversations and have people be open about it. um, And that I can continue to learn and grow in that way. I've tried really hard to, but there's always, you know continuing to do that and learning from it. Um, and can always be kind of working towards that more. And a piece of that goes back to the idea that it's scary to put yourself out there um, in that way. But a piece of two of the things that you've talked about, I really like the idea of being a learning junkie and also um, this like, sitting on the couch eating ice cream moment. And I think both of those uh, lend themselves well to this idea. And I think anyone listening as well as all of us who have engaged with you would say that you really exude authenticity. Sorry, let me say those words again. Exude authenticity. Um, And so kind of where does that authenticity fit into the conversation about ownership. I think that even in the pieces of like being your creative self while still doing your job uh, is one where that is kind of can feel like a battle for myself even, or bringing your whole self to work as we like to talk about. Uh, So I think that that would be really wonderful to hear how you've done that. And then kind of as a side note to that, um, has your kind of authenticity coming through in the workplace Is that something that is just innate to who you are as a person, or is that something that's really grown along with
2: you? Yeah, um, I think that's a really insightful connection of authenticity to ownership. Ownership lives in places that are a bit unchartered and ambiguous. And so um, showing ownership sometimes is also leading teams in that uncertain space. And so to follow you, people need to trust you, and, and honesty and authenticity is one of the best ways to drive trust between people. And so, you know, I, and just personally, when I'm able to be authentic, I feel relaxed. I don't feel stressed. I feel like I do my best work in that mode uh, when I can be authentic to who I am. And so, you know, I just really want that for everybody to be able to feel that way, uh, to be able to work in that way um, in the company. And I know that it is uh, harder for for some people for internal and external factors based on internal and external factors to do that. And so I just try my best to be inclusive and and, um, open so that more people feel safe and welcome to be their authentic selves. Because unless people feel trust uh, in the working environment, we can't do anything. <laughs> we we can't take any steps forward or achieve anything unless people feel some trust in, in the groups of people that they're working with. Yeah,
0: and I, I think that that piece can kind of... Uh... Feel like the chicken or the egg situation, right? So like you want a group of people to trust each other and be authentic with each other, but then it takes the first person starting that and putting themselves out there to be that person for other people. Uh, So it's fantastic to hear uh, from someone who is working with others to take that step and that leap to be their authentic self and then allow for that uh, to be received and then build that trust with them so that people can bring that back. Uh, because yeah, as you said, feeling safe and comfortable and trusting starts with being able to be yourself, I think.
2: And yeah, I I think the truth is different people have different strengths, right? Everybody's not going to be leading with the same thing. And one of the, one of the tools I have in my pocket is I feel comfortable being the first to lead with something authentic. So that's just one of, you know, you, you come to understand what your strengths are. That's one of my strengths. I know how how to be authentic first, and so when people can see it, they start to mirror it, and it it shows up more in the people around you.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I you were saying that and, and being being the first to show it, and I, I remember hearing uh, I can't remember where it was, but it went it went something like, you know. The bravest person is the first person to follow, (laughs) and 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 then I think about it and I'm like, yes, that's that's great, but it also takes a whole lot of bravery to be the first person to do it. So I I feel like the first, the second person, even the third person, whoever follows, it all takes that ownership and braveness to say yes. So it that that honesty that you mentioned and that trust too builds in there, right? So the f- second person's like, okay, I I trust you enough to follow, and the third person, same thing, right? So no, I I, I like that honesty and all of the gems that you've shared um, with us today, and I'm I if not for any if not for anything, I'm thrilled that I sat down and I didn't even think of ownership as a, you know, a topic to have a conversation over. So it's, it's amazing. Again, that shows your ownership of things, leadership of things. Right. So, um, we appreciate having you over. This was the, you know, the, the most chill (laughs) chill conversation I've had. And, um, thanks for sitting with us and sharing your story, which was very, very, um, interesting coming from, uh, Having having your dad and Johnson and, and going in there and then again stir is the local stir is stuck in my head right now and I'm thinking of it as a great idea that I, <laughs> I that might steal me, let's it Let's make it a thing. <laughs> let's make it a thing, right? Um, yeah, and all of this gems you've dropped are around, you know, vulnerability, taking risks, uh, and things like that. I, I I've learned a lot from that, and I'm willing to learn more. Um, so curious, do you have more gems to drop any advice you have for our, our, uh, listeners, any wisdom to drop
2: here at the end?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, um, I, one of the things that I take with me and I, and I, and I go back to a lot is we spend a lot of hours at work. We spend a lot of days at work. It's important to feel some personal satisfaction in the space. You know, I I like the idea of, you know, passion, our own passions, helping us, showing us the direction to go and then using those values of integrity, authenticity, honesty uh, to help kind of steer as you get there. So I just, you know, I I ask that people try to take ownership of where they want to go and, 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 you know, make time to do the things that they want to do, you know, to be happy, ultimately happy and satisfied.
1: Yeah, I agree. Go ahead.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, in touching on the idea of this was a very comfortable conversation, I also want to thank you as this was uh, my first time uh, fully being a part of as a who this is my first time as one of the hosts fully for the podcast. And uh, it was wonderful and easy and you made it uh, very relaxing to do. So I appreciate that as well.
2: Same from my end, ladies. I have to tell you, the questions uh, really made me think about my experiences differently. And so I definitely have learned from this experience and and
1: and thank you for that as well. Yeah. Nice. And we want to have you over again if you wanted.
2: <laughs> we, <laughs> we, anytime, we, anytime for you, ladies.
1: <laughs> yes, we do have the structured, structured podcast, but there's others that we, we know we're putting out there too. That's going to be coming up uh, soon. That is M- even more relaxed. This was relaxed and we're going to have an even more relaxed setting. Just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. To have that conversation. So once again, I want to say thank you so much um, for, for sitting down and, and having us, you know, drill you with questions that made you think, you know, from a different perspective about your career, which that's one of the things I love about this podcast. Um, thanks to Kara for that. Kara put those um, questions and help align them, which is awesome. Um, and and thanks to to our our editor who's going to be editing this too. Um, can't remember if it's Carrie or Kara that's going to do it, but this this is amazing, and I'm glad that we have this crew. We have a bigger crew now, and there's bigger and better things to come. So thanks a lot, Mina. Yeah, thank
2: you.